0: Wow, I feel a little bit uh, like I've changed life stages as of tonight. I don't feel old enough to be able to have a child to offer to the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. I, I am. I'm 32 now. So um, let's, let's pray. I, I really feel like there's uh, maybe a little more praise in our hearts for Jesus. And Yeah, I just, in, I just invite you to join with me right now that... That, Lord, you'd even remind our souls right now who you are. That you would remind our souls that you are seated on a throne, surrounded by angels who are declaring holy, holy, holy in this moment. Would you remind our souls, Lord, that there are elders who are casting their crowns, before the lamb of God who was slain and resurrected and seated. Would you just remind us right now who you are? Would you remind us that you are the God who came to us at Christmas? That you, you sent, you bankrupted heaven and came to us with tidings of joy and peace. Would you remind our souls and would our souls begin to worship you? I just, I just want to invite you to just, just praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord, we just command our souls to rise up and bless the name of Jesus in this place. God, we praise you. We exalt the name of Jesus. God, we remind our souls that he's worthy of our worship. We remind our souls that he is worthy of a wholehearted yes, of a wholehearted offering of ourselves. You are worthy tonight, Jesus, in this place. You are beautiful in all your ways. You are glorious, God. You are resplendent. You are clothed in glory. You are so holy. You are so beautiful that the angels for endless ages have been captivated by who you are. God, we remind our souls that here on earth is the only time we have voluntary worship. Because when we see you for who you are, you are beyond Description And so we choose tonight to bless the name of Jesus. We choose tonight to orient ourselves to bring you praise, God. We choose tonight to take our crowns and throw them at the feet of Jesus. We choose tonight to worship you, Lord, to glorify you, to bless your holy name. Glory, your glory,
1: your glorious. You are beautiful in all your way. Sing it again. And you are beautiful in all your ways. We remind our soul. That you are beautiful in all your ways. Oh, we sing that you are beautiful in all your ways. Just minister to the Lord. Oh, and you are beautiful in all your ways. Don't be afraid to sing your own song. You are beautiful in all. don't hold back cuz you are beautiful in all your ways oh king of kings you are beautiful in Keep singing, even without me. Because you are. We remind our souls.
0: We remind our souls. We remind our souls who this Jesus
1: is. You are. We remind our souls. Come with your glory, God. Come with your glory as we bless you. Sing it again. Oh, oh, you are beautiful in all your ways. We don't need a worship team to bless the Lord. You are beautiful. In all your ways. His presence, it's increasing in this room right now.
0: He's increasing. He's responding to your song. He's responding to the praise of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. God himself responds to the songs that we sing to him. That is marvelous. It's marvelous, it's marvelous that you draw near to us as we draw near to you. It is marvelous, Jesus, how much you crave to be close to us. You look for excuses to draw near and lavish us with your love.
1: Oh, you are beautiful in all your Ways. there's no one like you who you are beautiful in all your ways you are beautiful in all your ways.
0: We open our hearts and we receive the beautiful one. We receive the beautiful one tonight. We welcome the beautiful one tonight. We fix our eyes upon the beautiful one tonight we join with heaven and say, Jesus, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You are absolutely beautiful. You are more beautiful than the most mighty mountain peak. You are more beautiful than the ocean. You are more beautiful than the stars that paint the night sky. You are more beautiful than these little babies that we offered to you tonight. You are more beautiful than anything. Your love is beautiful. (laughs) We say, have your way in this place. And if you agree with that, I want you to just offer an amen. 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 Wow. Let's stand to honor the reading of Scripture. This is Matthew 20. What precedes what I'm going to read in verse 24 is that James and John have just asked for the right and left hand next to Jesus. Can you imagine it? Asking for promotion. Verse 24, and hearing this. The ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God, you can be seated. Lord, we ask that the word Of the Lord that your word would now speak into this atmosphere where your presence has been cultivated that you will speak a word Lord it will be both word and spirit in this room and that you will awaken the identity of a royal priesthood and that you will awaken the identity of an apostolic people which are a people on mission with you sent to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. I've been reflecting a lot in light of last weekend. Who was here last weekend for Julian Adams? Uh, I, I think it was perhaps one of the most significant weekends we've had as a congregation. And uh, we had time with him uh, as an elder team, on uh, the friday night and uh, he he I'd never had this before i've it was reverse consulting where rather than asking us anything about the church he just came and said i haven't even looked at your website but this is what the lord has been speaking to me and for 30 minutes he proceeded to read our mail our jaws were like on the floor within like two minutes We picked them up, and then they just kept falling, and just kept falling. And it was a very edifying weekend, and that continued throughout Saturday. We had a Saturday gathering with house church leaders and deacons and pastors and elders, and then we had Sunday night. And uh, it it was a significant weekend, and he really brought the word of the Lord to us. And in light of that, there's been a, you know, it says, it's, it's one thing to receive the word, but if you want to be good soil, you actually have to come to understanding of the words that the word can be rooted in you so that even if the enemy were to come and try to uproot it or if, you know, you have to have good soil. Amen. And I want us to be good soil. I want personally to be good soil. So I've been pondering a lot of the things that that Julian was releasing because not not for Julian's sake but for the Lord's sake that he would find me a worthy steward he'd find us a worthy steward that when he deposits word we bring a harvest 3060 in a hundredfold. Amen. I want to be a hundredfold community that every word that the Lord releases we steward like Mary who pondered what was spoken in her heart of hearts. She treasured the word of the Lord. She meditated upon the word of the Lord and so she brought forth the fulfillment of the promise. God, you know he loves speaking in promise. He loves stepping into our future an undisclosed amount of time we don't know if it's 20 years or if it's 20 minutes but he loves stepping into our future carving out a piece of what that looks like and saying here this is the future that i have for you if you'll put your trust in me and and follow me i know the plans i have for you says the lord a future and a hope plans for welfare and calamity Even in the moment of perhaps the most severe punishment, discipline from the father to Israel, he's still walking into their future and giving them a promise of hope. Oh, he's a good dad. He's fathering us into the fulfillment of promise. But for us to step into the promise, we have to take what he gives as the love language of his heart and steward it, and say, yes, I want to be a worthy steward. Amen? I want to be that here, and one of the things that he talked about a lot throughout the week into us, and he he spoke about it publicly, and so this is, I feel, my responsibility to now begin to steward and bring us into an understanding, as he said, there's a shift taking place from a pastoral wineskin to an apostolic wineskin. Who heard him speak this? All eight of you, wow, who else heard this? So, so he released language like this and he prayed some prayers over Jackie and I and some things that I think could breed a lot of, you know, well, what does that mean? What's happening? And so, um, I, I think that we have, I'm going to spend probably the next six months. I honestly think the next six months are stewarding the last three-day weekend that we had, which is so cool. I love how God can cram things beyond time. Um, but I, I want to I begin the process of laying a foundation to understand apostolic ministry. Okay? You're looking at me so serious. Who's ready to learn? All right, I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. What does friction sound like? Anybody want to just, you know, let's just hear it corporately. You know, for all those, you know, you terrible drivers that are always turning late, going too fast, what does it sound like? All right, I, we, we need to get this, we, especially there's, tonight, we need to, so I want to hear it, like one, two, three, what does friction sound like? Okay, so now so now partner with me. I'm going I'm going to turn a paradigm upside down and I need you to make the sound of friction with me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> to get the paradigm of Jesus in his apostolic ministry, There's some friction that's going to have to take place for a turning in our heads. There's a lot of friction in this scripture that I read. When Jesus says, whoever wants to become great, say great. Has to become a... One more time. (laughs) There's a lot of friction in this verse. And without the friction, friction creates movement. So friction is not bad. We've been driving on ice recently, especially in neighborhoods. No friction, no bueno. <laughs> friction is not a bad thing, but we have to recognize if we're going to understand the, the heart and soul, really, of even what Julian's releasing into us as a church, as a movement understand a call to transform a region, which is what he spoke of almost exclusively, start to view ourselves that, that we're an apostolic people being sent by God to transform a region and build the city of God on earth as it is in heaven, we've got to get a new paradigm of thinking to understand the posture and the heart and the essence of what apostolic ministry is of what an apostle is from God's perspective, okay? Can we go on a journey tonight? Are you okay for a little friction? Can we turn this thing upside down? I don't know if we can do it all tonight, but we can start. We can start the process. So to understand, we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at Jesus through the lens of Jesus as an apostle. It says in Hebrews 3, verse 1, that he's the high priest and apostle of our confession, the confession of our faith. So Jesus was sent, say sent, apostle means a sent one. Jesus was sent from heaven with a mission, on a mission, to do really one thing. He had one overarching mission that's encompassed in The Lord's Prayer, which is an apostolic prayer. He prays, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? Where? On earth earth as it is in heaven. So this is Jesus disclosing to us, I have a mission. It's not to get all of you into heaven. It's to get heaven into all of you so deeply that then heaven starts coming out of you and the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. In other words, his mission was to actually pick up where the first high priest and apostle, Adam, forfeited the assignment to make Eden cover the whole world. What was Eden? It was, it was a tabernacle of God, it was a temple of God, it was a place where God lived. And then Adam was given authority, say authority. God said, I give you dominion over all the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. In other words, extend the borders of this habitation with the authority that I'm going to give to you so that you can make earth a house for God, a dwelling place of God. But this is the crazy thing about God. It says that the, that that, by, that that all things are held together. Have you read that in Colossians? By the word of God. That in him and from him and for him all things and in him all things hold together. Say all things. All things are held together by God. And it says that God holds his word above his very nature. So that means that God is true to his word. Aren't we thankful that we have an integrous God? who literally makes covenant with us, and there's aspects of the covenant that he says, it actually doesn't matter what you do, I'll still be this. Says that God will remain faithful, even if we're faithless, because he can't deny himself. He will be integrous no matter what you do. Look at the Jewish people. God is in covenant with them. They are still, to this day, the most blessed people. Economically speaking, in inventions, Nobel prizes, this and this and this and that, they are still, because they are a people of covenant. Even if they turn their back on God, God says, I will not turn my back on you. I am integrous. I stay true to my word. The nation that blesses you, I will bless. You will be a blessing. I will bless you. Come on. God's amazing. God's amazing. But follow me here. God will not, he will not violate his word. If he were to violate his word, the whole universe would explode. Because all things are held together by the authority of God. So God, authority from God's perspective is a big deal. Say big deal. deal. It's such a big deal that when Adam, the first high priest and apostle, when he was sent and God gave him authority over the earth, when he was deceived and he gave his authority away to Satan, God actually was, in a way, not allowed to inhabit the earth anymore as God. God, God would come and he, he was then basically banished to a visitational relationship with humanity. Because Adam said, I'm actually, I gave my authority away. So, so Jesus comes to earth, not as God, but he actually puts it in his back pocket. He empties himself. He comes as a human. He comes as an apostle. He doesn't come as God because God couldn't be God on earth because God will not violate his delegated authority. This is wild. God was so committed to the authority that he gave to Adam that it actually cost Jesus his shed blood. That's how committed God was to working within the realms under authority. It's fascinating. Like when he gave the earth to humanity, he really gave it. He didn't like give it and then be like, yeah, you screwed up. I'm going to take it back. He actually says, I gave it to you. You were deceived. You gave authority away. This is why when Jesus is tempted, Satan says, I'll give you all the authority to the kingdoms of the world. Because he had it. And God said, I'm actually going to humble myself. And I'm going to come into the earth, not as God, but as a man on a mission to still fulfill the original assignment, which is to make Earth a house for God, a dwelling place, where God's manifest presence. And when I say manifest presence, or the glory, glory of God, think of the most powerful experience you have ever had with God's presence. He wants that to be the normal expression of life on Earth, where we're just aware of God everywhere. I believe that God is dreaming over our city, over our region, that there would be coffee shops and businesses and homes in our neighborhoods and places where God would so live that people would walk into those places. And they may not have any Christian language, but they'd just be able to say things like, I've been in deep depression and crisis, but when I step into this environment, I just feel nothing but peace and joy. God's dreaming that his glory is would be able to actually inhabit, say inhabit. Like inhabiting is when you know, when you buy a house and your realtor gives you the key, and then you like open the door, and then you're like, oh, this is mine. I'm sleeping here tonight. Like I'm coming and I'm not leaving. It's like marriage. You know, the best thing of marriage that I realized was you don't really have to say goodbye much anymore. When you're dating, you're like visiting, then you're like bye, and you hate the bye's, Sometimes those byes get longer, you know, and you kiss (laughs) the lingering kiss that Julian talked about, right? Goodbyes, you don't like goodbyes. If you're dating, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock, I'm just going to say that. We don't like goodbyes. But then you get married, you're like, oh my gosh, I'd never have to say goodbye. Because that's a picture of inhabiting. You're cohabitating together. This is what God wants to do. I want to come, and I never want to have to leave. God God is longing that he could come, that he would be authorized to come as himself and stay. So what he's looking for is humans that will use delegated authority in a way that the domain that we've been given, we Steward it in such a way that God can come and be God. We're going to get there, but follow me. So Jesus comes as the second Adam. He comes as a high priest and apostle. Say apostle. Apostle is a word that Jesus borrows from Rome. It was a general that was sent by Caesar. Say they conquered the barbarians. Say the barbarians. Have you seen the first scene of gladiator? Oh, the barbarians. So unculturized. What was an apostle? They'd... They would conquer the barbarians, but Rome didn't just want to conquer the people. They wanted to culturize the people. Say culturize. They wanted the people to become Rome and no longer barbarians. So they would send apostles, which were generals, sent on mission to make the barbarians become Romans. And Jesus says, that's perfect. That's the word I'm going to use for my disciples that I send out. I'm going to call them apostles. I'm going to send them out on a mission to reculturize the world to look like heaven. He doesn't want people to just say a prayer. He wants people to become citizens of a different world, of a different realm. This is cool. This is cool. So, so understanding Jesus as an apostle Helps us because we see he, he, he is the one who knew heaven. He, was, he saw the glory of God. He was the only begotten of the Father. He understood and he, so he's sent as an ambassador of heaven. Mind you, I think it's no accident the way that Jesus was sent. How was Jesus sent? As a baby. That's why we're talking about Christmas tonight. A baby, Jesus is sent as a baby. So we can start to to understand here, just at the get-go, that though Jesus borrows the word from Rome, there's friction between understanding a Roman apostle versus an apostle of Jesus, right? Rome, Caesar's not sending babies. Babies are needy, babies actually are learning language they're being fed they're being cared for there's this very that's it's it's extreme humility so so we can see right at the get-go the sending is different we're we're an apostolic people are sent but they're not sent in the same way that we would think of Roman authority, or earthly authority, or humanistic authority. Okay, so Jesus is sent, he's sent on a mission to come under authority as a man. He takes the humanity that God's given him, but he is still committed, his, his, his mission, Jesus' mission as the high priest, and the first, the highest apostle, is that he would set in motion a, a global movement that would build the house of God all across the face of the earth. So the first thing I want to say about apostolic ministry is that apostolic ministry, apostles think globally, say globally. To understand apostolic ministry as God does, you have to think and see that God is after the redemption of the world. You're thinking globally. You can't think. It's not enclosed. It's not about me. It's God is, sees this mission, he's, he's, and he's imagining, and he sees, and he is authoring and speaking a redeemed earth. This has been his one mission the whole time. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the consistent mission of God. It is to transform the earth, that the earth becomes a dwelling place of God. Come on. So apostles think globally. Okay, The next thing I want to talk about, so there's a global perspective. The second thing is that apostles are given, apostolic ministry is given, and apostolic people are given a domain of authority, a domain of, I can feel friction. So a, apostolic ministry is given a domain of authority. So a domain. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he uses the Greek word is metron, say metron. Metron, and it's somehow sometimes it's translated a sphere of influence. Say sphere of influence. So authority, a domain, a sphere, a metron of spiritual authority is a deposit of God's authority upon a person or a group of people or or a, a community of people, the church. It's a deposit of spiritual authority that has a redemptive effect. Say redemptive effect. So it's it's a It's a disbursement of spiritual authority that has a redemptive effect upon a specific location on the earth. So it's a a release of God's governing authority that has a redemptive effect upon a certain location on the earth. So spirituality is always, from God's perception, linked to physicality because God is, again, trying to transform the earth. So Jesus, in his apostolic ministry, he had a disbursement of authority from God to minister in actually three specific regions, Judea, Samaria, and the Galilee. That's the only place that we see Jesus doing his ministry. It's the only place that we see his authority actually operating. So when the Syrophoenician woman comes to him and he says, I wasn't sent to you, he's not just being mean. He's being honest. I haven't been given authority to go to the Gentiles. He's like, I'm working on that. I'm actually discipling right now some knuckleheads, and I'm getting them ready to carry authority, and they're going to receive a disbursement of authority from my father to go to a different region, but I'm not sent to those regions. So part of why Jesus is marveling at her faith is she says, I don't care, and she actually presses into a reality that wasn't reserved for that time. (laughs) So he's like, all right, your faith's amazing. You have it. But he was being honest. He was actually communicating his metron. I am called, I am apostle sent to Israel, and I have been given an inheritance within this land of disciples. We see this in the high priestly prayer in John 17, which it would also be an apostolic prayer. So in the high priestly prayer, like two-thirds of the prayer, he explicitly says, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm praying for the ones that you have given me. Then he switches and says, and then I pray for the ones that you'll give them in their spheres of influence, right? Because, again, Jesus is a man under authority. This is what the centurion recognizes about Jesus. You're under authority just like I'm under authority. I'm under the authority of Caesar, but you're under the authority of God. So Jesus is under, he's been given a disbursement of God's authority to do a specific redemptive task within the land of Israel. So obviously, the cross is central. You know, and, and we can go into Jesus as Savior. Jesus has multifaceted expressions of ministry. We're just talking about his apostolic ministry. But his his the fulfillment of his ministry within Israel then set in motion the raising up of an apostolic, these apostles that he was then going to send and give into their metrons. So we see Peter uh, is mostly in Israel, then he ends up having a realm of authority in Rome, uh, we see Paul on, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that on different ministry trips, the Lord would speak differently about where he was given authority to minister, so there's in one, he tries, in Acts 16, he tries to go to Asia two times, and the Lord says no, and he sends them, he sends him to Macedonia, He's communicating to Paul, here's where I'm authorizing you to be sent as an apostle to transform a region. Thomas, do you know, anybody know where Thomas was sent? India. Uh, he made his way kind of on like the Silk Road. And then he. there is still churches that trace their roots to Thomas in India today because Thomas was given a disbursement of authority in Isn't this kind of cool? So the scriptural pattern of how spiritual authority operates is that spiritual authority, it it, it brings about... You know, Richard Gordon preached this message that the spiritual realm is more powerful than the natural realm. So the pattern we see in scripture, and the most we get about a three-year window into Ephesus, so we see kind of the whole pattern play out, is that there's spiritual power released through apostolic ministry, which, which the, the scriptures in both the Gospels and the book of Acts refer to as signs and wonders. And if you were to get into the original language, it actually just means attesting miracles. What is it attesting to? That there's a dispensation of spiritual authority. So you see Jesus in his domain, he's signs and wonders, but in, in Ephesus, you see, um, it says that great miracles were being done through the hands of Paul. Then you have this story of the seven sons of Skeva that they try to mimic his authority, it doesn't work well for them. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't read Acts 19, it's amazing. But then the pattern in scripture and and the purposes of God is that spiritual authority and, and spiritual power would then lead to societal transformation. So we see, after a measure of time, Paul's two years teaching in the school of Tyrannus, great miracles start manifesting through his ministry, power starts shifting in the region, and then you see this story where it says that people came who were in, in witchcraft and magic, and they start burning their witchcraft, their Ouija boards, their tarot cards, their their whatever it is, psychic, re- like they're, they're they start burning it in the streets, and it says the amount of money that it was worth. And it's the equivalent of millions of dollars. (laughs) Millions of dollars gets burned in the streets. There is a, a sanctification of society taking place. People are being convicted of their own accord of sin. We see in the earlier in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, it says that extraordinary wonder, signs and wonders are happening through the apostles. And then people start selling all their land and creating this common pool of money to take care of the poor. Societal transformation. There's it, it that what happens in the spirit realm actually spills out and begins to influence the natural life of a city. because again, what's God after? The redemption of the world. He wants to live everywhere. Come on. Not just in temples on Sunday nights. He wants to live everywhere. God wants to live in your living room. God wants to live at your kitchen table. God wants to live at your cubicle. God wants to live on your drive to work. God wants to live everywhere. God is God is consumed. He's obsessed with being close to you, but he will not. It's not that he's just God's a gentleman and he'll only come where he's asked. He won't violate authority. He'll only come where he's allowed to be God. God will visit when it's on our terms, but he'll come and live when he's allowed to be himself on his terms. And that's true with us too. Where do we spend most time? With the people we can be ourselves. God's looking for a people. An apostolic people are a people that God can come and be himself with. So, so an apostolic people think globally, and then they've, there, there's a disbursement of spiritual authority that has a redemptive effect on a certain region. So again, Julian's speaking these things. There's this apostolic wineskin. There's, there's being grace released to build the city of God in the Treasure Valley. We've been called to transform a region. What time is it? Oh, I'm actually doing really good. Wow. I'm amazed. Let's just take a moment and thank Jesus for that. I thought it was like 630. Whew my anxiety level just i'm just joking i'm not anxious but i i enjoy never mind okay so this is probably the most important thing now i'm building a framework but this this is what i want you to hear more than anything tonight is that i want to talk about the apostolic posture of influence because it's very easy to hear everything that's being said Apostolic grace, apostolic authority, favor, grace, redemptive power, signs and wonders that then bring about social transformation. We're like, wow, Paul, changing Ephesus, yes. But if we miss, if we miss the posture of heart through which apostolic authority comes, the whole thing will get corrupted. The whole thing, the whole thing will blow up. And this is why Jesus is so, there's multiple examples of what I read at the beginning of tonight of him discipling his apostles to be into an understanding, into the friction of a new paradigm of leadership, which is that the greatest are servants and whoever wishes to be great will become a slave. The Gentiles lord authority over you. It's not this way with you. This is not how my apostles lead. This is not how my people steward, favor, and authority and influence. This is not the power of Rome. This is the power of God. And it's a very different expression of leadership. And so Jesus is just having to, just one more time for me. He's got to turn things upside down. There's friction in us because there's the way of the world and there is the way of Jesus. They don't get along, but it's okay because the friction between the two can actually create the movement if our heart is willing to step into the ethic of Jesus, to, to, to be transformed to look like Jesus, who is the high priest and apostle, but the one who came as a baby. Came as a baby and this is this is the picture this is the picture that i think captures the 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 the, the it, it, it's the symbol that expresses apostolic authority john 13 3 jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Just stop there for a moment. Knowing that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, knowing that he had come from the throne of glory, and he was going back to a throne of glory, where angels endlessly, day and night, look at him in the face, and say, holy, 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 you're glorious, I can't look at you, I'm covering you with my wings, because you're glorious, you're glorious, knowing that knowing that he was the crown of the Father, knowing that he was the highest name of any other name that ever will be and ever could be and ever possibly could be imagined, knowing that, he gets up from his seat and he grabs a towel, and he kneels down and he starts washing the dirt off of these apostles-to-be, dirty Middle Eastern sandal, sandal clad feet at the highest peak of personal significance, Jesus knew exactly who he was. I'm a servant of all. I did not come to be served. That is not the way of God. That is not the ethic of Jesus' leadership. I came to serve and offer my life as a ransom for many. It is not here about me. Leadership is not about me. Leadership, favor, authority, all of it has been given to me to to edify and build up and raise up the people I've been called to serve. Authority is married to humility. And apostolic people do not carry a rod of influence and authority. They carry a towel. This, This seven mountain mandate has been perverted by a dominionist perspective, that we need to climb to the top of the mountains of the business and the education and the religion and the and the political, oh my Jesus, the political mountain, these mountains of, of culture, This it's a beautiful teaching, but the misunderstanding is that we need to go to the top of the mountain so that we can rule so that we can superimpose Christian values upon the way that culture functions. And what it has relegated us to is an empty form of Christian expression in the marketplace where we just put Jesus on top of it, but there's no glory. God's not looking for, for nice Christian ease. His, his, his vision is not to Christian ease the world for churchianity, that everything's churchy and nice and beautiful. No, God is wanting to move into the neighborhood. God is wanting people who understand the heart posture, not a form, but a heart posture of such humility that the humility to steward the authority because it's not about influencing people. It's about influence and using authority to create a habitation that God can come as we humble ourselves and say, you are king, you are Lord, you can come and be God in my life. And God is looking for people that will be sent to the political sphere, and sent to the marketplace, and sent to the hospitals, and sent everywhere a city is, into every sphere of a city. There's nothing that can't be redeemed except for sin. There is nothing in our cities that can't be redeemed except for sin. There's nothing His manifest presence, there's no one His manifest presence cannot redeem except for the acts of sin itself, and God wants to send you, but it's sending you with a towel. He wants to send entrepreneurs, but He wants to send you with a towel. He wants to send people into the political sphere, but with a towel. He wants to send you into the family world, into the schools, into the hospitals, into the salons, into the the nail places where you pay all that money to get pretty, pretty fingers. He wants to send you. He wants to send you there, but he wants to send you with a towel. And this is the thing. Our thirst, our heart cry is not for promotion. Our heart cry is for habitation. It says that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time. time. He will only promote us to the level of character that that lives in us. He, He will only promote His Son. He doesn't want to promote you and me. He wants to promote Christ in us. And he is humility incarnate. He's the one who came as a baby to the world that he was called to transform. He spent 30 years just learning and listening and being loved by it. It's it's just, it's, it's so not the way of Rome. It's so not the way of Babylon. It is so not the way of America. It is the way of Jesus. And if, if we want to be a people that God can promote in society, which he's longing for that, it's going to be a people of the towel. We, we can self-promote if we borrow from Rome and just create our own scepter and chisel a cross on the top of it and say, I've come in the name of Jesus. That works. We've seen that. It works in the sense of it will get you promotion, but it will not create a habitation of God. It'll create an anxiety trap of promotion, which you just have to maintain with more promotion. And then when you die, no one's left to promote it anymore. And so your fruit doesn't remain. But what's birthed of God will be sustained by God, and your fruit will abide because it's sourced from Him, and it's back unto Him. And there's the purity of heart that it's really sola de gloria. That's the heart cry of a worshiper. That's the worshippers that God's looking, people that would worship Him in spirit and truth on Sunday night, and then Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. And you know when you're a worshiper. Because God's seeking those worshipers, which means God's like, I'm looking for those people because I'll live with them. I'm moving into those people. That's how you know you're a worshipper. God lives with you. <laughs> Woo! God shows up in your life. God shows up in your living room. God shows up in these unexpected places because he's like, I'm here. I'm still here i'm still here and i'm going to be with you forever even to the end of the age you can't get rid of me unless you use the authority you've been given to say no because you're not willing to humble yourself so when apostles think globally they've received spiritual authority spiritual power to have a redemptive effect on a certain location on the earth and they influence with a towel. They, they lead from the bottom. They're not afraid to go low and lower still. There's not ego. It's just, it's, I love that Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples for desiring to be great. How could he? He was preparing to send them to different parts of the world with apostolic authority. Peter is great. John is great. They got there. He doesn't say, don't desire greatness. He doesn't say, don't desire to be used by me. He just says, it's going to be a little different than you think. There's a cross and there's a towel in this call. Amen? This is the last thing. I want to say is that it's not about apostles, it's about an apostolic people. Meaning this, apostles don't change regions, and apostolic people change regions. So even the gift, the fivefold gift graces, this is Ephesians 4, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, they exist to reproduce themselves in the people. Their are vocational assignments to serve in the temple space so that everyone that comes and sits under and honors, receives, and recognizes their ministry will get leavened with it so that they carry the grace themselves. So God gives authority to apostolic ministers to raise up an apostolic people. Come on, that's good news for you and me. God's saying, I actually designed it that 98% of the body of Christ doesn't work at a church on purpose. Because if we're doing a real estate survey, the amount of space that God wants temples on the earth is actually small. He doesn't want physical churches everywhere. That's not his vision. Like, one massive church that just spans from sea to shining sea, man. The bride of Jesus is a city in Revelation. Jesus is saying, I love the whole thing. So I, I truly think that we have this paradigm in us that's like, Jesus loves, he, like he loves Sunday nights. He loves them. He lives here. This is his favorite place. He loves, he loves, 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 loves. Oh, he just loves, loves, he just loves Sunday nights. He loves those special people that he's called to make less money than everybody else and (laughs) spend all their time praying and dealing with really hard things in people's lives. And he loves, 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 loves those less. Yes. But then when we talk about like, you know, but my family's devotions, he loves that. He doesn't love it like that. And then, but, but he does love this. But then my job? Oh, I don't think he loves my job. I don't think he really wants to show up at my job. Like, like where do we get this? Jesus is like, the whole city is my bride. Like, I love every part of my, my bride. Every part of Jackie, I love her. I'm not just like, your eyes. Your eyes. Your eyes and your heart, babe. I love your eyes and your heart. Just, I just love your eyes and your heart. It's like, no, God made man and woman, which is the bri- perfect partners, face-to-face, hand-to-hand, knee-to-knee, foot-to-foot, mouth-to-mouth. Like, Even you realize we're the only species that in the procreative act we're face-to-face. Face-to-face, eye-to-eye, mouth-to-mouth, nose-to-nose, hand-to-hand, shoulder-to-shoulder, chest-to-chest. We're perfect mirrors. We're made for each other. Male and female, he made them. He takes female out of Adam and perfect companionship. Jesus says, my wife is a city of God. He's saying, I love my whole wife. I love every part of her. I love everything that you can imagine. Jesus is like, I want to relate with you in the whole city of God. Intimacy to be explored in the whole city of God. So where do we see Jesus sending all his time? At the temple. I need to be at the temple, at my father's house. We see him walking through the marketplace, the woman bleeding, grabs his hands, he's always out amongst the people, he's visiting houses, he's in houses, he's in Peter's house, he heals he heals Peter's mother-in-law, he's in the houses where do we see Paul spending all his time Paul's in the synagogues, in the temple he's always trying to get to Jerusalem to come to the temple, he's in the synagogues, he's at church he loved the church, but he's also sitting making tents in the marketplace preaching to people as they come by, he's on the Mars Hill in the middle of the urban Acropolis of, of Athens and he's preaching to people, he's in the market place. He's in the homes. He's in the home. He's in the home in, I think it's Pathros or something where he's preaching, you know, and the guy Eutychus falls asleep. Like, you think I'm preaching long right now? He said he preached so long, went to midnight, the dude fell asleep dead, raised him from the dead, and then preached until the morning came. I'm I'm just getting started. Like, my goodness. Okay, right, so he's in the homes. Where do they spend all their time? Why? Why? If they're spending all their time there, Jesus, or Paul literally says, I, it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, Paul's like, yeah, I'm meeting Jesus. Because where I go, he goes, because we're a habitation. And I am relating to Jesus all across the different social, economic, political, whatever you would have you, spheres that take place in a city. I'll close with this. God has called you to this region, and God is wanting to release. Apostolic grace to you so that the boundary lines of your inheritance in the Treasure Valley, Idaho and then anywhere else he may send you to, you are creating a habitation of God and you are using a disbursement of spiritual authority to effect redemptive change upon the boundary line that God has given you. Come on. You say, well, what's my boundary line? You have physical boundary lines. You live somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> you live somewhere you have land in this valley you have a job you have a, a relational sphere you, you you have an inheritance in this land you have a something that God has put under your your domain your 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 authority your influence yes yes God wants to live there. God wants to live there. Come on. God wants to live there. God wants to move in. And we're, we're learning about it here. And there's this relationship between the temple and the home and the marketplace. We're learning about it, but God wants to live with you. Come on. All right, this is how, this is how I want to close tonight. I'm going to have the team come up. And this is going to be a little bit awkward but it's supposed to be. Um, And nobody knows, except for maybe two people, what's about to happen here. And I love it. Um, We can, you can actually, in a few minutes, we'll be able to, it's going to be really kid friendly. Uh, This is going to be, I think, a beautiful time. But uh, we're going to have kind of a, it's going to be an ordered, but then there's going to be a free expression, and we're going to do some foot washing. And um, it's going to start, I'm actually, I'm going to have Jackie come up with me, and I'm going to call the elders of the church up and we're gonna wash their feet. None of them know this. And um, we're all gonna watch it, because it's really uncomfortable. Anybody ever done this before? It's awkward. How many of you are saying right now, have I cut my toenails recently? (laughs) When's the last time I got a pedicure? Um, But this is the point, this is the picture. Jesus says, do this. If I'm the Lord and I've washed your feet, do it, do it, do it, be like me. And so I'm going to wash the, we're going to wash the elders and then I'm going to have the elders and um, we're going to invite the, the, the deacons, the pastors and the house church leaders. And I'm going to invite the elders to then take a towel and, and how we're going to do this. I got bo- uh, the bottles of water and I've got, uh, rags and we're just going to get them damp and we're going to wash feet. And then I'm going to at at, at once we've washed kind of some of the, the leadership, the f- formal leadership in the church, we're just I'm gonna I'm gonna open it for anyone who's desiring to to actually come under the apostolic ministry of Jesus that he's releasing here. It's not exclusive. He's like, Do you wanna do you wanna lead? Do you wanna influence? Just take a towel. Like serve. All right, we don't want promotion in the church. We want promotion from God. I think we haven't understood the pathway to the promotion that God wants to bring to influence and transform a city. So a lot of us have been clamoring in churches. We don't want the promotion of church. You don't want the promotion of man. You don't want the promotion of a pastor unless the promotion that's coming is from God, in the church, out of the church, whatever it is. But anybody can take it. Anybody can take a towel. We're gonna become Steelers fans around here. (laughs) So uh, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, I'm I'm actually just gonna maybe just pour those out. And this is an uncomfortable moment, but leadership's uncomfortable. It's not some polished, triumphal march. It's choosing to be the one that gets up and takes a towel and takes the initiative to serve and go where one else would go. That's a sent one. Come on. So if the elders, we're going to ask the elders to come up here. If spouses want to come too, you can come as well and join in. Yeah, you can just maybe sit up here. spouses can come as well.